Rico Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. Eco Report is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello and welcome to Eco Report for WFHB I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Don Guerra. In today's feature report, Indiana environmental reporter Enrique Sands will continue the pollution lawsuit. This is the saga of the nuisance lawsuit against oil companies, exposing their concealing of dire environmental consequences. But first, today's environmental stories. The Reporter Times reported that members of the Morgan County Soil and Water Conservation District Board received an update from Chairman Doug Penning about the closure of a Duke Energy coal pond in southern Indiana. Penning said the Hoosier Environmental Council filed a lawsuit over the closure of the ash pits at the Gallagher Power Plant in New Albany, Indiana, along the Ohio River. That lawsuit was based on the lower level of ash being below the water table. He said the council contended the current plan to close the pits was not going to work and Duke needed to remove the ash. Penny said the council won its case, which means Duke will have to find another way to close the pits. According to a new report from the North American Electric Reliability Corporation, the Mid-Continent Independent System Operator, or MISO, a power grid that serves much of the Midwest, is at high risk of not being able to meet demand this summer. MISO is a nonprofit organization that supplies power to 42 million people. The organization has predicted a decrease in capacity every year since 2018, the report says. This year, MISO will have 2.3% less capacity than last summer, together with a 1.7% increase in demand. According to the report, the reasons are higher temperatures, power generation outages, low wind conditions, and damage to a transmission line in a December 21 storm. April is when MISO first announced inadequate generation of power for the summer. In a press release, the organization said it intended to use energy imports and emergency procedures to keep its services reliable. MISO plans to use demand response, a strategy of requesting that customers voluntarily reduce power consumption if the organization isn't able to meet the predicted demand. If extreme demand occurs, MISO intends to implement planned outages. The report cites July as the month with the highest risk because of expected peak demand. For years, research journals devoted to the earth sciences have warned of the dire consequences that could result from global warming and pollution going unchecked. Now, one of the nation's oldest medical journals has committed itself to increasing the public's knowledge about the health effects of the planet's changing climate. Beginning with the issue published last week, 
the New England Journal of Medicine is expanding its coverage of the intersection of climate issues and public health, starting with a series on fossil fuel-driven health harms. The journal plans to devote regular coverage to the topic on its pages and in its affiliated journals. The opening article focuses on how children, particularly children of color and those from poor and working-class communities, are affected by such factors as extreme weather events, heat stress, and air and water quality. One of the authors, Carinado, who is an endowed professor of medicine and pediatrics and the director of the Center for Allergy and Asthma Research at Stanford University, said, quote, For example, my children will see three times as many climate change extreme events than their grandparents did, Nado said. In their lifetime, there will be five million deaths across the world due to climate change. We need to really focus our efforts on communicating how to mitigate and adapt to climate change. And we have those tools. End quote. The article is just the beginning of a much-needed focus on the consequences of climate issues by leading researchers in the medical community, a deputy director of the journal said. In Indiana, there have been several studies in which there was discussion of the dangers of air pollution to health. So far, the legislation has ignored the health issues and focused almost exclusively on profit. The latest greenwashing scheme the plastic industry has devised is called chemical recycling, the industry's solution to its own pollution, a process promoted by the plastic industry as reducing plastic waste is an environmental health risk that will make the plastic waste crisis even worse. It spews toxic pollution into the atmosphere and generates large amounts of hazardous waste. Chemical recycling is the process by which plastic waste is burned into fuel or building blocks for new plastic. Unfortunately, it's an emerging field in the U.S., with 15 states passing laws to accelerate the process. The process rarely works. Even with the most advanced technologies, chemical recycling hardly turns any of the old plastic into new plastic. The majority is lost and releases toxic pollution in the process, all while spurring demand for even more plastic to be made in the first place. Instead of investing in chemical recycling, it's time to advance real solutions to the plastic waste crisis. Bans on the worst single-use plastics and policies that hold manufacturers responsible for plastic pollution. Another real solution is producing less plastics, not burning them for more fuel and products that eventually become waste. Disposing of the millions of tons of plastics produced annually is a huge problem. Many plastics require centuries in landfills to degrade. Polystyrene is one type of plastic waste that also takes up a lot of space. The New York Times reports there is a larva that can digest polystyrene. What's more, the larva that managed to choke down polystyrene did not, as you might expect, expire. As scientists documented in a paper published in the journal Microbial Genomics, they even gained a bit of weight and were able to metamorphose into beetles most of the time prompting the researchers to check their digestive systems for microbes that could break down the polystyrene. 
If scientists can understand such microbes' toolkits, they can devise a better way to recycle this tenacious substance, which, if left on its own, may persist in the environment for hundreds of years or more. These are not the first insects that have been fed polystyrene in a lab. Mealworms are known for their ability to eat the substance that makes up packing peanuts, among other plastics, said Christian Rinke, a microbiologist at the University of Queensland in Australia and an author of the new paper. Mealworms and superworms alike have been observed consuming polystyrene, and they lose this ability when they're fed antibiotics. So researchers have concluded that their gut microbiomes are likely to be behind this unusual talent. Congress is considering legislation that would authorize more subsidies for ethanol, a gasoline additive, and biofuels. The misleading name Renewable Fuel Infrastructure Investment and Market Act of 2021, H.R. 1542, is likely to go to a vote soon in a larger Food and Agricultural Committee package. It would create a new program at the U.S. Department of Agriculture to support the expansion of biofuel infrastructure, ethanol, switchgrass, and wood biomass, and wood seed, the program with $500 million in subsidies for ethanol and biodiesel. Billions of tax dollars already go to subsidizing the corn industry and ethanol production. Over a third of all corn grown in the U.S. is used to produce ethanol. Growing corn for ethanol comes at a high cost to our wallets and climate. More ethanol means higher prices for food at the grocery store. Corn production for ethanol has raised the price of corn by 30% and other crops by 20%. Corn also harms the environment by eroding the soil and requiring massive amounts of herbicides, insecticides, and fossil fuel-based fertilizers. Creating ethanol is energy-intensive and bad for the climate. New research shows that carbon emissions linked to ethanol are at least 24% higher than those from regular gasoline. Ethanol is also an environmental justice issue. Ethanol plants are often located next to trash incinerators and coal plants, resulting in the concentration of polluting industries in already poisoned communities. More ethanol and more biofuel subsidies mean more dirty energy plants, pipelines, and similar infrastructure. Those are tax dollars that could be invested in the transition to wind and solar, which would provide real energy security. As the world seeks to respond to an energy crisis prompted by Russia's invasion of Ukraine and increasingly dire warnings about runaway climate change, the EU has announced a new plan to get off Russian fossil fuels and speed the transition to renewable energy. The European Commission announced a plan that would, among other things, increase its 2030 renewable energy target from 40 to 45 percent. The EU currently gets around 40 percent of its gas and 27 percent of its imported oil from Russia, Reuters reported. The new plan would spend 210 billion euros to allow it to quit Russian fossil fuels by 2027 and has three major components. Two of them are speeding the transition to renewable energy and increasing energy efficiency, but the third would see a near-term increase in imports of non-Russian gas. This would mean importing from countries including Egypt, Israel, and Nigeria. It also might mean using coal 
for longer at the beginning and building more liquefied natural gas terminals, according to The Guardian. The last part of the strategy has drawn criticism from environmental advocates, pointing out that some of the replacement fuels would come from repressive regimes. On the greener side, the European Commission outlined measures to boost renewable energy, including number one, doubling solar capacity by 2025 and installing 600 gigawatts by 2030. Second, mandating that new buildings install solar panels. And third, doubling the rate of heat pump use. And fourth, producing and importing 10 million metric tons of hydrogen by 2030. In the U.S., meanwhile, environmental campaigners said that the country could learn from the EU's response to the energy crisis. Scientists have discovered a pernicious new pollutant on the beaches of the Canary Islands. They call it plastitar because it's a blend of microplastics, plastic particles less than 5 millimeters long, with tar and oil spills. Plastitar is soft, small, black mounds of gunk sprinkled with multicolor nurdles, which are tiny plastic pellets that constitute the raw material that melted down into plastic bottles and bags. As ships transport nurdles around the world, the pellets spill into the ocean in large quantities. One estimate puts the number of nurdles entering the oceans every year at 500 million. Whether oil spills in the seas, it floats around, partially evaporates, and thickens into tar balls which wash onto land. As Wired put it, the stuff is essentially super-toxic Play-Doh that sticks to rocks. The waves contain microplastics and other debris that get stuck on the tar balls. Not only are the tar balls themselves toxic to humans and other animals, but the plastics also contain thousands of toxic chemicals. It's not yet known for sure what the deleterious effects of plastitar are, but we do know that organisms living on the Canary Island beaches probably suffer damage from the stuff. Any algae living in the, on the rocks covered with plastitar die. Further, plastitar is darker than the rock it covers, absorbing the sun's energy, and it is extremely hot. The heat could significantly raise temperatures on the ground, affecting the organism living there in as yet unknown ways. In 2021, the International Energy Agency warned that in order to reach net-zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2050 and limit global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels, no new oil and gas fields or coal mines could be developed. Now, a study published in Environmental Research Letters goes even further. In order to meet the 1.5 goal, we will have to abandon nearly 40% of developed reserves of fossil fuels. Quote, Going beyond recent warnings by the International Energy Agency, our results suggest that staying below 1.5 centigrade may require governments and companies not only to cease licensing and development of new fields and mines, but also to prematurely decommission a significant portion of those already developed, end quote, the study authors wrote. The failure to do what was required to limit warming over the last 30 years spells the end of the 1.5 Celsius warming goal. So what is a reasonable projected temperature increase by 2100? The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change is the best source. 
From a wide range of climate model simulations, the IPCC predicts that our planet's average temperature could be between 2 and 9.7 degrees Fahrenheit or 1.1 to 5.4 centigrade warmer in 2100 than it is today. What does a 9 degree Fahrenheit rise get us? An Earth with an average temperature high enough to melt all the polar ice. It will take a few centuries for the ice to melt and raise ocean levels by 200 feet. Wildlife killing contests in which people receive cash or other prizes for killing the smallest, largest, and the most carnivores on public lands are legal in the U.S., except in Washington, Maryland, Arizona, California, and four other states where grassroots activists have halted them. In one of those mass slaughter events, a killer received the top prize for killing the smallest animal, a fox that weighed under seven pounds. In another such event, a team of two trophy hunters won cash for killing 52 foxes and coyotes in 45 hours. The hunts kill animals which are not supposed to be killed, like pet dogs and endangered species. Over 20 dogs that were mistaken for coyotes have lost their lives due to killing contests in North America. The Center for Biological Diversity is urging Congress to pass legislation that would ban the killing contests on the more than 500 million acres of public lands nationwide. Besides their cruelty, mass slaughter contests destroy healthy ecosystems in which all native wildlife species play important roles. The Manatee Center and allies sued the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency to force it to protect manatees and sea turtles from Florida's water pollution. More than half of last year's 1,100 manatee deaths in the state were caused by starvation after algae blooms killed off the seagrass the animals eat. Unchecked pollution in the Indian River Lagoon, which supports more species of plants and animals than any other estuary in North America, is fueling the toxic blooms. The lagoon is on the east coast of Florida, southeast of Orlando. Quote, Hundreds of manatees are dying in the Indian River Lagoon as the water quality plummets, and the EPA must confront the massive nutrient pollution behind this disaster, end quote, said Reagan Whitlock, a center attorney. There are greater implications to efforts to save the manatee. The mammal is almost certainly going extinct unless humans create a safe environment for them. This Sixth extinction event will surely eliminate manatees unless we are prepared to care for them for many centuries. Other animals and plants will go extinct unless there are programs to care for them until the extinction event is over. Native American tribes are demanding that the U.S. Department of the Interior Secretary Deb Hollard revoke the permits for the Thacker Pass lithium mine in Nevada and that House Natural Resources Committee Chair Raul Grijalva investigate the crimes being committed at the Thacker Pass against Native American tribes. The area is home to the Winnemucca, Paiute, and Shoshone peoples. Like so many other Native communities on the front lines of environmental racism, those living near Thacker Pass say they were ignored and railroaded in the name of an extractive industry, lithium mining because the area is the location of the largest lithium deposit in the U.S., mining companies are coming for it quickly. Despite local tribes' resistance, the government has given the green light 
to destroy the Thacker Pass area. In February, the Winnemucca colony joined a lawsuit against federal agencies, including the Bureau of Land Management, which manages the land. At no point did those agencies properly consult Native communities before moving ahead with the mine, which will almost certainly contaminate groundwater essential to the survival of both the region's people and its diverse animal life. A recent study found that just like fossil fuel extraction, lithium mining has an outsized negative impact on native communities. 79% of lithium mines are located within 35 miles of Native American reservations. In today's feature report, Indiana environmental reporter Enrique Sands will continue his report on the pollution lawsuit. You will hear the saga of the nuisance lawsuit against oil companies exposing their concealing of dire environmental consequences. Indiana Attorney General Todd Rokita has signed up the state for another legal fight against efforts by local governments to get fossil fuel companies to pay for their contributions to expensive climate change effects. Rokita and 14 other Republican state attorneys general have joined an effort to get a federal appeals court to review a decision that allows several local governments in California to sue petrochemical companies under state nuisance laws for their alleged roles in causing climate change effects. Rokita previously led other climate change case interventions, including a failed effort to get a federal court to review its decision to allow a similar climate change lawsuit out of Baltimore, Maryland, to proceed in state court. The lawsuits could open the door for cities seeking to recoup the costs of climate change mitigation efforts from the companies that sell the fossil fuel products spurring those changes. In a press release, Rokita said, quote, It is absurd to enable a single state's judiciary to set policy on a global issue that affects all 50 states. A California court's finding against the energy companies would require the companies to change the way they operate, not just in California, but everywhere in the world they do business. Unquote. Here's what's in the lawsuit. The city of Imperial Beach, along with Marin and San Mateo counties, sued more than two dozen fossil fuel companies and unnamed executives in state court, accusing them of violating California state laws by concealing for decades the fact that their fossil fuel products would change the climate in ways that would cause property damage and other economic injuries and impact public health. In the lawsuit, the governments claim the companies have known for nearly a half century that unrestricted production and use of their fossil fuel products create greenhouse gas pollution that warms the planet and changes our climate. The suit says that they knew for decades that those impacts would be catastrophic and that only a narrow window existed to take action before the consequences would be irreversible. But despite that knowledge, they engaged in a coordinated multi-front effort to conceal and deny their own knowledge of those threats, discredit scientific evidence, and create doubt in the minds of the public about the reality and consequences of their fossil fuel pollution. The defendants, which include some of the largest petrochemical companies like Chevron, ExxonMobil, and Marathon Oil, argued the cases were without merit. The cases were moved to federal court at the behest of Chevron Corporation in 2017, but a federal judge sent the case back to California State Court about six months later. The companies appealed the decision, arguing that the case would fall under the Clean Air Act, but a three-judge panel from the U.S. District Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit upheld the decision twice. Rokita and the other attorneys general are asking the appeals court to review the decision a third time, this time by the full court consisting of the chief judge and 11 of the circuit court's judges. 
Rokita said that permitting 50 different state judiciaries to set global emission standards would lead to utter chaos. Rokita has also filed briefs supporting reviews of other decisions allowing local governments to sue fossil fuel companies in state courts in California, Delaware, Maryland, and New York. For Eco Report, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Don Guerra. Here at Eco Report, we are currently looking for reporters, engineers, and segment producers. Our goal is to report facts on how we're all affected by global climate disruption and the ongoing assaults on our air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world, particularly those who are active in South Central Indiana. All levels of experience and all ages are welcome, and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. To volunteer for Eco Report, give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org. And now for some upcoming events. Are you a tree hugger? If so, then join the Naturalist at McCormick's Creek State Park on Saturday, June 25th at 1 p.m. to learn more about how to identify trees that we have in Indiana. Just maybe you will hug a tree. Meet at the Canyon Inn Lobby. Join Carol and Cherie on Spring Mill State Park Lake for a one-hour kayak trip on Saturday, June 25th from 7 to 8 p.m. to discover how the CCC helped bring the lake to life. You will need to bring your own kayak or canoe. Registration is required. Contact Cherie at 812-849-3534 or sbelt at dnr.in.gov. Meet at the boat ramp. A beginner kayaking class is being offered at the Paintown State Recreation Area at Monroe Lake on Sunday, June 26th, from 10 a.m. to noon. The class is designed for beginners, and you will learn basic paddling skills, safety skills in a quiet water area. Sign up at bit.ly slash begin dash kayak dash june 26 2022 join the naturalist on monday june 27th from 10 to 11:30 a.m for a guided hike on trail 7 around ogle lake at brown county state park hear the history of the lake and about the animals that make the lake home this is a moderate hike do you want to learn about the emerald ash borer then join the naturalist at the Payne Town State Recreation Area Campground at Monroe Lake on Wednesday, June 29th from 6 to 7.30 p.m. Find out what the insect looks like and how you can safeguard your trees from this invasive pest. Eagle Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy and Linda Green. Enrique Sands gave us the Indiana Environmental Report. Juliana Daly assembled the script and Linda Green, Don Guerra, and Patrick Callanan edited it. Juliana Dela compiled our events calendar. Patrick Callanan produced 
and audio edited today's show. For WFHP, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Don Guerra. And this is Eco Report. You've been listening to the Eco Report, a volunteer powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org. Eco Report is your independent, ecologically inspired news source for South Central Indiana. Bringing you news that the earth wants you to hear. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Eco Report staff. The email address is earth at wfhb.org. That's earth at wfhb.org.